Welcome to the CCTA Wake Up Call. Uh, thank you for joining us. Uh, my name is Bob Griswold. Mary Griswold. Kim Fink. Glenn Fink. Bob Brinson. Pat Park. Paul Hill. Patty Mason. We have two candidates with us today. We are trying to interview as many candidates who are willing to come on the radio show with us. If you are either a Democrat or Republican or Libertarian and you're in the primary races, please email bob at cctaxpayers.com and we will gladly put you on the radio so people can learn more about you. We're going to start off with Bob Brinson, who is running for the North Carolina Senate. All right. Well, thank you very much. And as stated, my name is Bob Brinson, and I am a Newburn native, grew up here, went to West Point, and then spent 28 years in the active Army as a helicopter pilot, logistician, and an inspector general. And then uh, after the service, decided to come back home. And so what I consider elected politics really is a public service. Uh, I have a servant's heart. I work hard at, at what I do. And I look at uh, public service as a neighbor serving neighbors. I'm a current New Bern alderman uh, for the city of New Bern, representing uh, Ward 6, and work hard to, for my constituents and to do what's best for the, for the city, you know, trying to keep taxes low, trying to still provide services uh, at a, a good cost and uh, do well. And so that essentially is why I am running for North Carolina State Senate. I want to serve people, uh, serve them at a higher, a higher level, obviously, for the counties of Craven, Beaufort, and Lenore, and really just want to take that hardworking attitude, a servant's heart, and being able to work with other Republicans to take back our liberties, take back our rights, uh, and push back against the liberals. And so that's why I'm running. Um, Bob, what do you see as the most important issue facing North Carolina right now that the Senate has some influence in? <laughs> right. Um, I, uh, there's actually three, but I'll start off with, with the number one topic for me really is education. And the purpose of that really is there's a liberal agenda in our schools that we need to push back against, whether it's CRT, whether it's transgender. Uh, the General Assembly passed the Parents' Bill of Rights uh, last uh, session. And now, you know, to establish parents, I mean, who, need, who knew that we needed a Parents' Bill of Rights to say, hey, parents, you know, you're entitled to some information out of the schools. But we had to do that. Now there are school boards that are refusing to implement the Parents' Bill of Rights. You look at Orange County, you look at Chapel Hill, they've actually come out and said we're not going to do it. Um, so, and Bob, and to that point, the, the uh, Attorney General is not willing to enforce it. Yes, I mean, that was my, you know, the first thing is that the best thing that you can do is vote in a Republican Attorney General to enforce our laws. Uh, and, and that's kind of the caveat with everything that the General Assembly is doing. Um, but having said that, the, for the General Assembly, and you asked, you know, what can the Senate do, essentially is the opportunity scholarships. We have opportunity scholarships. We have to expand those. We have to create more opportunity and expand the economic strata that they are available to so that parents can take their child and put it in a learning institute, whether it be public-private charter. Uh, you know, there's some controversy with homeschools, but, you know, the money goes with the child if homeschools are willing to take the money. And so that parents have a choice to put a student in, the, in their child in an institution that aligns with their values. And so that's to me, the, the, the biggest issue. The other two? Now, I, I'm, I was going to end on that one issue. When you see when you're the opportunity scholarships, and we're going to try to create some competitiveness between yes. public and private yes. that hopefully will increase the, the efficiency. The issue um, with the homeschooling and, and the, state fund, the state funding is the fact that the homeschoolers pretty much operate autonomously with the curriculum they choose. And if they start to accept the state funds, there's strings attached. 
And that's what the homeschoolers don't want. It's, it, I think as far as fair goes, the homeschool parents are paying property tax that goes towards paying for public schools. So I think if the homeschool families were to get money, it should be in the uh, area of a reduction on their property tax to make it even. Sure. The, the only, and, and I would say, in, in my personal opinion, the only string I would, and, and your solution eliminates all the strings, but if we were to go a separate route, the only string I would have would be that homeschooling would be subject to standardized testing. That's they, all. They are. I'd, okay. They, and then they, that's it. They do have a degree yeah. of standardized tests, and they have to pass yeah. the same graduation requirements yeah. that any public school. So, so then I have no restrictions and giving it to homeschool. Your other two issues? I, I'd like uh, just to, but I, I thought within the current legislation there is already an expansion uh, schedule in there. To there is. Making it larger, so you would yes. actually, uh, you would be in the camp of kind of expediting that growth? Sure. But Absolutely. I think and that's to counter the school systems that are refusing to implement the Parents' Bill of Rights. Sure. I think what Kim was sure. saying, though, is it's the taxpayers' money. So the taxpayers are giving it to the government just to get it back again. So how do we keep from giving it to the government so they can keep what they have? Is that not what you were saying? Well, I'm saying that a homeschool parent is basically double paying. Yes. Correct. And, and, and they should be able to keep their money. They shouldn't have to get it back from... A government. Which is why I said the only way that would work would be a rebate on property tax. You don't pay it, they don't have to give it back. And, and here's, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up, and I don't mean to change topics, but here's something that I am considering uh, is delineating property taxes to what they go to. So having lived in Texas, what they have is, you know, this percentage goes to your county government. This percentage goes to your infrastructure. This percentage goes to your schools. And so that percentage in the school portion, you know exactly how much is going. Then if you could delineate that, you can lower that. Uh, and the reason why I say that is because I'm interested in giving our veterans, those with disability, a discount on their property taxes. And so I, I wouldn't be in favor of discounting their taxes as that goes to school and infrastructure, but essentially what goes to the county government. So, you know, if you are 100% disabled, you get 100% deduction. If you're 50% disabled, you get a 50% deduction. But that would require you to delineate what percentage of your taxes goes for what within the county. And so, so that kind of goes back to the point that you made. Mm -hmm. If you delineate a percentage of what goes to the schools, then those at homeschool would not have to pay that tax. And I would hope that, that you would determine what disabled encompasses because there are people that are physically VA. disabled and then there are people who are mentally disabled it, and then there are the lazy disabled no the, <laughs> I, when i say when i say veterans disabled i mean their va disability okay I, that, they get paid for their disability that is well, it is some, a rating well, okay what about a hearing a, a, a parental hearing disability that that i don't know that that keeps them from doing the a job so i think that there's some level of disability that has a different value on it no all i all i was specifying was a va disability for veterans not yeah the department of education will disability designate you as disabled and discharge your student loans but it doesn't count for any other doesn't count for social security doesn't count for va disability so there's a kind of disability yeah. So, so going back to the two, so I didn't want to, I didn't want to divert, but it was, but it's something. That, but the, I wanted to bring it up because it's something I can, I am considering. It goes right in line with what you're talking well, about. Well, is that included in the sixty percent of the state budget? Well, no. What we're talking, education? no. What we're talking about is county property taxes. Okay. County I property taxes, part. not <laughs> the state Sorry. level. Um, 
so going back to the, the two things, and I, I'll talk about the third one first because I'm, I'm drawing a blank on the second one. <laughs> but <laughs> the, uh, so the, the third one essentially is uh, mental and behavioral health. One of the things that I, I went to the uh, state veterans home up in Kinston probably a month or two ago, and one of the things that the director talked about there was we have no mental or behavioral health services, uh, not, a, not at the facility and not even in the county. So if there's a veteran in the state veterans home who has a mental crisis, they end up sending them to the ER there in Lenore County, and then they have no behavioral health or mental health services as well. So the veteran is either sedated or restrained or both. And then it gets to an involuntary uh, committed, uh, commitment, and then the person's there you know, for as long as it takes for them to figure it out. And so my issue is we've got to designate one, at least one of those veterans' homes uh, to be able to give mental health uh, services or locally uh, or build another one. Then, once we figure that out, we can start talking about regional public-private partnerships because you have the same problems with the schools and your uh, Department of Social Services. Mm -hmm. If there's a child that has a mental or behavioral health crisis in the schools, they don't know what to do with them either. Um, I know the General Assembly uh, designated $800 million last year towards mental health, but to me, that's like, okay, you're throwing money at it. What's the plan? Um, you know, don't just throw money at it. So that's what I'm, uh, that's the mental health thing that I have an aspect to. So how would you go about working to designate a VA? And here's why I'm asking the question. My husband does have a hearing disability. He goes to the Greenville VA. There are over 17,000 patients for three doctors. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm talking specifically for the veterans' homes, state-run okay. veterans' homes. There's five of them. And uh, so specifically, I'm talking about those inpatients, and then we can start working to expand that. They are VA-accredited, They, uh, you know, but they're contract facilities that are paid for. I misunderstood. Where are the majority of our veterans in those homes coming from? Are they Vietnam, Iraq, Afghanistan? Is there a... Well, right right now it's Vietnam because it is kind of a, a, a nursing type home. So mm -hmm. you're looking at, at uh, older ages, but it's also a recovery type hospital. You know, if, if someone has an injury or surgery, mm -hmm. they end up going there, you know, so you have the, the range okay. of veterans. But yeah, right now it's mostly Vietnam era. Folks, we're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors and orders again. Thank you. This is a CCTA wake-up call. Actually, we're going to be right back with Bob again, so he'll remember his point number two. Transmission and Automotive Repair is the transmission physician in the New Bern area. If you're experiencing transmission problems, call Charles Grover at 252-637-2399 or stop by the shop on 17 South in New Bern. Torque can install a new or reconditioned transmission or they can rebuild your transmission if that's what you prefer. See Torque for a variety of minor automotive repairs like brakes, tune-ups, and water pump. You can count on Torque Transmission and Automotive Repair. Hey folks, here's a tip. When you think firearms and ammo, think East 70 Palm. They've been on Highway 70 East of Newburn across from the fairgrounds for 31 years. Drew Preston and his staff know firearms. Gun sales have tripled in under a year, and women shooters are the fastest growing part of their business. Their great inventory, over 300 guns in stock, changes daily. And if you want something they don't have, they'll look for it. New and used, rifles, shotguns, and pistols, buy, sell, or trade. And they also have many holsters, scopes, and other gun accessories. Every member of the staff is deeply knowledgeable, and every one of them is an excellent shooter. So don't just come for the inventory, come for the thoughtful advice. E70 Palm, your home for firearms, ammo, and answers. Highway 70 East Newburn, across from the fairgrounds.
Moore's Old Time Barbecue is slow cooked and smoked over hickory in the tradition of the Moore's family for over 70 years. Moore's also serves fried chicken, cooked to order seafood, and homemade side dishes. Open seven days a week in New Bern, Winterville, Moorhead City, Swansburg, and Jacksonville. Moore's will cater and deliver anywhere you want your truly traditional barbecue and fixings delivered. And remember, if it's not Moore's, it's less. Welcome back, and thank you for listening to our sponsors and supporters. Bob, we're going right back to you. All right. So, yeah, so the essentially the, the second biggest thing that's facing our state uh, is the fact that every state is now a border state. Uh, you know, our southern border, uh, the feds, well, Biden refuses to Mayorkas uh, to close it. And so criminals, drugs, you name it prostitution, uh, human trafficking are all making its way into every state because those people are going somewhere. And so that's why I say every state's a border state. And so here in North Carolina, we have got to give our law enforcement the tools they need to go after them. Um, and uh, our first responders, we've got to give them tools to deal with the, the overdoses. I was just in the uh, opioid task force for Craven County, uh, their meeting yesterday, 83 uh, overdose deaths last year in Craven County. Mm. And with the tox screens, 65 of them involve fentanyl. So you know that that is not prescription drugs, that is on the street kind of drugs. And so some of the things the General Assembly can do, uh, again, going back to the Attorney General, uh, you know, E-Verify is on the books that our businesses and industries must verify uh, citizenship, although they, we have industries that are, it's not being enforced and they're not, uh, they're being pretty liberal about it. Um, so that's gotta be enforced. The other thing is we can just, uh, the General Assembly can outlaw giving driver's licenses, titles to vehicles, uh, scholarships, all those things to people that are here illegally undocumented and make it an unfortunate, it's an unfortunate thing to say, but make it so untenable for them to live here in the state of North Carolina that they go to those sanctuary cities like in Illinois and have the mayors complain what's going on. As long as we're um, paying for them to go to school and that type of thing, I mean, we are educating the children because the North Carolina Constitution says every child, not every legal child, um, my opinion is something needs to be done about that just for the cost to our state. Yes. And the impact, Absolutely. not just the cost, but the impact on the other students because right. of ESL dealing issues, with yeah. a challenging circumstance at best with the uh, non-English speaking. Right. I mean, I mean it, it, it is a multifaceted yeah. issue. And so my solutions obviously focus on the adults mm -hmm. uh, at this point. Um, and basically forcing them to go somewhere else until the feds deal with the southern border. But if they're coming for the free stuff, it has to be more than just the education. You know, I know that there's aid for housing, there's aid for getting phones, there's aid for food. It, it just seems like, you know, we don't want to see anybody suffer, but we're... We don't take as good a care of our veterans, right. for instance, as we do these illegals. Right. And th that's just wrong. But I wanted to ask you, um, I know that uh, Keith Kidwell has put forth um, a petition or something uh, re requesting a, a look at whether North Carolina would send their National Guard troops down to help Texas. What's your position on that? I, absolutely. I mean, I'm for that. But the issue is the governor is the only one that can do it. Yeah. Uh, that is the problem. Uh, the National Guard can either be nas federalized, that's through the Department of Defense and a presidential call-up, mm. or they can be called up by the governor. Mm. So those two people are Democrats and will never do that. So that's kind of where I go back to, you know, you're, you're asking, you know, what can the General Assembly do? I mean, the General Assembly can pass all the resolutions they want to say, do this, do this, do this. But it comes down to the governor and the president doing something and they're not going to. There's also, I mean, everyone is concerned about the Texas border and there's nothing wrong with that. But there's also Arizona, New Mexico well, and California. So right. we have a mess. And the right. question is, 
are we going to allow the states involved to do what they need to do? And do the states involved have the governors that are willing to do it? Because not all of them do. Exactly. I'd love to see the optics of President Biden trying to keep states from protecting their state. You know, the governor of Texas uh, announced a national emergency uh, as an invasion. Mm -hmm. So he's announced an invasion, which gives him the right to do what he's doing. Mm -hmm. Yes. And if president wants to nationalize his troops and try to go down there and, you know, mm -hmm. take over that whole thing, optics in an election year. Good luck. That would just be that perfect. Be. <clears throat> there is also a convoy of truckers Trucker. and a lot of other people headed there. And one of my concerns about that is that we may be setting up the optics is the wrong word, but I can't come up with a better one right now, for another January 6th. This may be a trap um, that everyone who goes there is going to find themselves visited at some point by the government because they were in the wrong place at the wrong time. Remember Waco. Yeah. Well, remember the Freedom Convoy up in Canada. Yes. They ended up freezing everybody's bank account. And they just got ruled that they were not Illegal. allowed to do that. Right. But look how long it took. Yeah. Yeah. And the the uh, truckers had to work to get their money back. Yes. So their lives were upended. Yeah. Um, this, has so. the, this is a good thing, but it has the potential of being used mm -hmm. against the people who are trying to do the right thing. Once again, optics in an election year. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was wanting to go back to one thing around the, uh, the one thing around uh, the illegals and all that. And I heard some things said that I'm not so sure state managed. Some of that stuff could be federally funded. And, and so my, my interest is, uh, will both, uh, will the General Assembly as a whole push back against the federal, look at like nullification, isolated nullification hmm. of saying we don't want those funds? We won't take those funds for whatever they're feeding that right. would make it more comfortable for them. And, and that goes back to who's in charge of the executive branch for the state of North Carolina. You know, the, the General Assembly can say, hey, don't take it, don't take it, don't take it. But, you know, if the governor and his administration takes it, you know, uh, there's not much we can do uh, except... That's, that's elect elect a Republican governor and elect a Republican attorney general and re elect a Republican president. But, you know, we're, we'll solve these problems. Well, look <laughs> at how many states nullify uh, marijuana laws. Marijuana is still legal at the federal level. Yeah. A bunch of states have marijuana laws, so they've essentially nullified that law. Yeah. You know, I want to go back uh, again to, to some of the support that we knew historically. If you remember, we, we had agencies here that were paid $1,500 to bring in immigrants. Now, whether they, whether they were legal or illegal, but they were paid $1,500 to bring in the immigrants. And then once the immigrant was here, they washed their hands of them and it became a county city problem, not not a problem of the person that brought them here. I know up in Massachusetts when we had we were dealing with an with an immigrant and it was an illegal but actually a person that overstayed their uh, their visa but we were trying to make sure that they were not a burden to the state and and we were we were fortunate we we had that person with us for three and a half years while they were fighting the whole issue. But, but are they really an immigrant because the profile I see is as people are coming for free stuff. They have no intention of assimilating to be a U.S. citizen. They have every intention of sending the money they earn back home. Yeah, and Patty, well, that's we a... recently heard Ilan Omar talk about being loyal to Somalia and that her first loyalty was Somalia, and she's in Congress. So this is an immigrant, a legal immigrant. We can talk about how she got here, but that's a whole other story. Her brother. She is here legally. Mm -hmm. um, she's in Congress. She took an oath to defend the U.S. Constitution, and she's in an area that is 80 or so percent, if not more, Somalian. 
So they're going to keep electing her. But is she really an immigrant? Her religion allows her to lie. That's to true. Further. So is she really an immigrant? Or is she really just an alien residing within our borders? Well, that's... that's <laughs> well, she married her brother to get here. Yeah, well, that's, that's true. There's that's a lot of stuff me. there. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff there. Um, when we come back, I want to ask Bob the... Well, we, he can start to answer it now. Why should I vote for you? Well, it, it's, it's like I said, my heart is for public service. And I want to serve the people of Beaufort, Craven, and Lenore counties and represent our Christian, conservative, and rural values and do what's best for us at that level. Um, it, and that's the attitude that I bring. It's a servant leadership perspective. It's not a political perspective, uh, a politician. It's not for fame or money or glory. I mean, I, I, I'm not interested in any of that. All the, I mean, there's, there's some, very little there's money some up there. Well, there's very little. Well, <laughs> the salaries are not that much, but we know that there are some folks up in Congress that have do very well, do very well. And, um, legally or illegally but 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 that's not my point you know my point is I have wanted to be a public servant ever since I was in ninth grade and that is what I have done I've I've uh, spent 28 years serving our nation uh, I've come back I've spent many uh, hours and much time in our veterans organizations, serving our veterans, community organizations, uh, the Republican Party, serving our Republican uh, voters and constituents. And so my point is the hard work and the ethics and the attitude that I have is why they should vote for me for the Senate. I appreciate your being here, Bob. I appreciate your, your words. And uh, right now we're going to take another quick break to hear from our sponsors and supporters. This is CCTA Wake Up Call. Thank you. Since 1952, the North Carolina Fisheries Association has been working to ensure access for fishermen and consumers to enjoy fresh local seafood. The North Carolina Fisheries Association is for fair, science-based fisheries management for commercial and recreational fishermen. If you agree with this philosophy, become a member. For more information, log on to ncfish.org. For fresh North Carolina seafood, there's no better place than B&J Seafood, Highway 70 East in New Bern. At Professional Auto Service, keeping vehicles in top form and running well isn't just their business, it's the passion of folks who work there. If bail and wire and duct tape is good enough, don't go near them. But if you take pride in your vehicle and reliability is important, go to 2215 Country Club Road in Newburn and let Professional Auto take care of your vehicle. You'll be pleased. That's Professional Auto Service, Country Club Road, Newburn. Welcome back, and thank you for listening to our sponsors and supporters. And this is CCTA Wake Up Call. Pat or Patty, we're going to you. Uh, hi. <laughs> <laughs> hi, Patty. <laughs> I'm, I'm running for the Craven County Board of Education, District 1, and I'm running for our children because they're our future. They're our future citizens, and they're our future leaders, and they deserve the best education that our tax dollars can provide. What is tax, what is District 1? What neighborhoods? Um, I, I, it's uh, like Vanceboro, Fairfield Harbor, Truett Ernal, Bridgeton, Quail Woods, Crosswinds. East of the river. Okay. It's east of the river, up. Okay, because a lot of people don't know what school district mm -hmm. is. Yeah, it, it's um, a rural slash retirement area. Okay. And, um, and you know the people work hard, and they work hard for what they have, and um, they're all very well. They're all educated people, you know. A lot of it through the School of Hard Knocks, and um, I just think we need to provide our kids the best education we can provide, and I think we're not doing that. Um, I look at proficiency, um, and the the 38 percent of the students in Craven County are proficient in math and 47% in reading. 
and that's not good. Now, I'm told that we need to look at the growth, but going from a low D to a high D doesn't cut it in my book. <laughs> you know, an employer's not going to say, you grew on the job, I'll keep you, even mm -hmm. though you're not doing your job. Mm -hmm. um, and then we need to get the, the, the child ready to enter life um, a thing. Um, and a couple of the issues that I want to pursue is parental involvement is a must. It's critical. I don't know how to do that. I understand that many parents, you know, are working two jobs or whatever, but I come from my, what part of my background is engineering. We will find a solution. You know, if you watched Apollo 13, failure's not an option. Yeah. So we just keep pursuing it. And it's going to be hard, and it's going to be hard conversations where we have to listen to each other and, you know, gather input. Um, I want a very strong curriculum, and I want a standardized curriculum across the county. Um, part of the, I, I've looked at the, I tutor, I've looked at the math education program in the high school. Um, I was an engineer at NSA for 32 years, and for two years I programmed for the Navy on the Cherry and Tartar missile system, and our math education sucks. Mm -hmm. That's the best I can say. It's, it's, you know, we're not giving them a good education. I'm having trouble following it, mm -hmm. which should speak volumes. Um, but the other reason I want it is, um, let's define some terms. There's standards, what are you gonna be testing on, the objectives, like, do you know your multiplication tables? Then there's a curriculum, which in a, a sloppy form is the book in the schedule that you're gonna go through on the book, that we're gonna cover this amount of the book. And it's a kind of a loose schedule. You know, some teachers may be ahead, some teachers may be behind, but everybody has an agreement that we're gonna cover this much of the curriculum by the end of the year. So that if I'm in a third grade teacher, I have a reasonable expectations of what my, the second graders coming into my class had, and I don't have to spend the first two or three months doing search and rescue missions to find out what they know. Um, you know, so we need to do to, and then there's lesson plans, how you execute it. That's total freedom on the teacher's part, total freedom. Um, we have an excellent, um, career technical education program in Craven County. But go to the website and try and find it. I can't. You know, their success rate is astounding. And I would like to expand it because that's where life skills are taught. That's where everything, you know, it, it's just very practical education. And in the old days, we used to say that's where the jobs are. Yeah. Um, um, I want to do a workload study on the teachers. And I want to do it like an engineering approach where the information will guide us as to what the answer is. I think I will be surprised. I think the teachers will be surprised. I think everybody will be surprised. But let's get an honest what the workload is and let get the priority for the teacher to be teaching. I think there's a lot of extra work poured on them that's not fair and it's causing things to um, go back. I also agree with a statement made earlier. I believe a strong public education system is needed. However, I completely agree with school choice. I, I see them as embracing each other because America was built on competition. And competition you know, makes us stronger. No, we don't always win, but we learn from it, we grow from it, and we grow as a collective group from it and we still can love and respect each other. And I think that's what we need. You know, I think in, in, in what you're just saying right there, our school system right now does not allow for failure. Correct. They don't. One of the things that happened with the uh, impl implications of Common Core was the big focus on testing. And the, as far as the standards go, there is a pacing guide that the teachers are required to follow. They have to get through a certain section monthly, weekly. So I had 
access to that pacing guide for 10th grade math, math two. I had access to the book online. I had access to the videos that the students watched. And I had access to the state standards. None of them agree with each other. Well, that's, that was part of the problem initially. Mm -hmm. But teachers have become more of a facilitator than a teacher. And they're teaching towards the test because somebody in their innate genius decided to tie teachers' compensation with student results. Correct, and we need to find a better way of measuring because it takes three people to educate a child. It takes the child, it takes the parent, and it takes the teacher. And it's a stool, and you cannot only me measure only one leg of that stool. And you can't keep throwing money at it and expect that to change because you can have the same resources for five children the exact time for five children and not the same results for five children. You can't make them learn if they don't want to. If they're not willing to do it, no matter what you do, it's not going to happen. And I was reading an article, and one of the criticisms of our county is our county does not supplement teachers' pay enough. Well, the article was about Iredale County, and it was a very interesting article. And it turns out their county supplements their teachers approximately the same amount Craven County does, yet they are one of the top 10 of the state. How'd they do that? Good question. Um, I want to take this in a slightly different direction. Um, recently, we've come in contact with an exchange student. And this is a, obviously a State Department program, but this child is from Sweden. And the county that she is in, the school puts her, she's a, she would be a senior in Sweden if she were in Sweden in school right mm -hmm. now, but this, the county that she's in puts her in school as a sophomore because that's what they do with all their exchange students. But the interesting part of the whole thing is that when she goes back to Sweden at the end of this year, she gets no academic credit for her year in American schools. She has to do her senior year. And to me, that is an indication of the respect that American schools do not have worldwide. I'd like to make a comment about Bob's statement about our, our schools don't allow failure. They allow failure. They just choose not to call out when somebody's failed. Mm -hmm. That's right. Uh, I mean, I, so the system is set up to, to let everybody uh, move through, along, through, but they, we, we accept failure every day. They enable promotion. failure. Mm -hmm. They enable it. Well, the social yeah. promotion is one of the big, the big issues yeah. that's been there, and that's not new. That's been going on for 20 years. Right. So, like, the first semester of school this year, regardless of how well you did in the classroom, you got a D. They changed your grade to a D. Why should a child try if they're going to pass, no matter what they do? Even if you didn't show up. Yeah, even if they class. didn't show up. And, and that's a result of the Bush era, no child left behind. And that's not new. I think a lot of the focus on schools happened as the blessing, the only blessing of COVID, was that some parents finally got to see what the kids were or weren't doing. So I came across a DPI report, 2022-23 Consolidated Report, and they talk about discipline problems and behavior problems and all of that, and it's a very interesting graph. During COVID, when the parents were involved, there was no discipline problem. It, it basically goes down to zero. Well, they weren't in school. How could there be a discipline problem? Mm -hmm. They were on Zoom. Yeah. And a child's going to misbehave just as much on Zoom as they do in the classroom. Matter of fact, my one girlfriend in, in um, Maryland, her son wasn't allowed to go to school on Zoom unless she was there because um, <laughs> he was a terror. Um, <laughs> so the parents were involved. And what I'm trying to say, say and, I, you know, that's trying, that's akin to making this statement if you go to a virtual school, there's no discipline problems. It, you know, children magically behave because they're in a virtual school. No. But that's the, the key there, of course, as you're saying, is parental involvement. Right. right. And actually parental exposure to what they, the parents had been ignoring. 
Well, and, and you know, it's amazing because um, you read these reports all the time. If a child misbehaves, the father will go sit in the classroom. And it's amazing how that behavior problem just cleans right up when his father's right there. Very good. Folks, we're going to take another quick break to hear from our supporters and sponsors. This is CCTA Wake Up Call. Thank you for staying. Transmission and Automotive Repair is the transmission physician in the New Bern area. If you're experiencing transmission problems, call Charles Grover at 252-637-2399 or stop by the shop on 17 South in New Bern. Torque can install a new or reconditioned transmission or they can rebuild your transmission if that's what you prefer. See Torque for a variety of minor automotive repairs like brakes, tune-ups, and water pump. You can count on Torque Transmission and Automotive Repair. The God and Country Christian Alliance has a simple mission, but it is a profound one. They want to inform and educate the public on issues of moral and political concern. They want to restore the Judeo-Christian values upon which this nation was founded to all levels of government. And they want to encourage and activate pro-family voters. Simple, but not easy. The God and Country Christian Alliance meets the third Monday of every month at Moore's Barbecue on MLK in Newbern. Meetings begin promptly at 7 p.m. and end by 8.30. To enjoy dinner with the group before the meeting, arrive between 6 and 6.30. Both the food and the company are good. Meetings include speakers and discussion, and their annual banquets are legendary. Join them on the third Monday of each month for a refreshingly candid view of the world and our place in it. Just who are these people doing this CCTA program? They're people like you, a photographer, someone that ran their own business, someone retired from the military, just people in the community that love this country and have a desire to do their part to lower taxes and shrink government, to protect individual liberty, and to preserve the U.S. Constitution and free enterprise system. We welcome you to come out to a meeting. If you like what you see and hear, there's a place where you can contribute to the cause. To learn more, go to cctaxpayers.com. That's cctaxpayers.com. The group meets every third Tuesday at Stanley Hall Ballroom in downtown Newburn to enjoy a fantastic speaker and report on CCTA activity since the last meeting. If you've been disappointed with rising taxes and government intrusion, don't just complain. Join Coastal Carolina Taxpayers Association and make your voice heard. Welcome back, and thank you again for listening to our sponsors and supporters. Uh, this is the CCTA wake-up call. We're going back to Patty. You want to tell us why we should vote for you, please? Um, I have a track record of trying to get people to work together and uh, tackle the hard topics in a productive um, manner where um, consensus can be drawn. I mean, I've gotten um, in the Pentagon generals to agree on issues. That's pretty hard to do. <laughs> and, um, Uphill battle. <laughs> and, um, you know, I, I, ha I have an education background. I tutor. I'm actively involved wanting to help um, people learn, not, ju not just ele elementary or middle school or high school kids, but help people learn. And um, I want to see our county succeed. I want to see your county be in the top of the country, at the state and the country. And the way to do that is to educate our students. Thank you. Very good, Pat. We're going to go go to you, and you have uh, you have some interesting case. I'm going to talk about the Chevron case that's in front of the Supreme Court right now. This case arose because two fishing companies. Uh, are challenging the Chevron doctrine because of a rule that was issued by the National Marine Fisheries Service that requires the herring industry to bear the cost of observers on fishing boats. Now, the Chevron doctrine relies, allows you to rely on experts to clarify a rule that is ambiguous. 
they let the uh, experts do it. In this case, they want the experts to be on the boats and for the fishing company to pay for the experts. So the fishing company has to pay for their... Observers their, oh, to be oh, on their boats. Okay. Yes. It's been that way. So that's a financial burden. Mm -hmm. And the herring industry is saying we can't afford that. They've and, been doing that to the shrimpers for years. Now, how well, did this come about? Where did this law or whatever it is come from? It came from um, a case... You know, Congress has... Uh, relinquish their uh, rulemaking capability to these administrative agencies. And the administrative agencies then, anytime there's ambiguity, they come up with a rule. And I know you've complained about regulatory agencies before, as we've all had an uh, opportunity to do. And you would think, in fact, that was one of the things they argued in this case, is whether the court should figure out what's ambiguous and solve it, or whether the administrative agency should solve it. The U.S. Solicitor General, who argues on behalf of the state, and the three liberal justices all said, we like it the way it is. And the conservative justice said no. Um, after the uh, argument was uh, presented to the court, it was about a three and a half um, argument, the, uh, it looked like the court was leaning towards getting rid of the Chevron doctrine. The problem with getting rid of it is that we have stare decisis, which is if you already have a rule in effect and it's been in effect for a long time, if you upset the doctrine, you may upset that whole list of cases that relied on it. And I think automotive cafe standards is going to be one of those standards that was done by regulation, not by law. Well, all the administrative agencies operate that way. Mm -hmm. And the, the court said, uh, somebody in the argument said, the only way you can change the stare decisis and get rid of the Chevron rule is if the court finds it's not reasonable. And that that apparently is a huge burden. Well, it seems to me, and I am probably being very simplistic, that when the founding fathers set up our government, that the laws were supposed to be made by Congress because Congress was accountable. We got to vote them out of office if we didn't see, if we didn't like what they were doing. Now, it seems to me with this regulatory state thing, and there's an article out today, they've, they've started to put more regulations on our gas stoves. I don't want the government telling me how I have to cook. If it was done in Congress, I would have the, the opportunity to vote whatever congressman voted for that out of office and say, no, I don't appreciate what you're doing. Mm -hmm. But with this regulatory thing, I don't have that option. So who's actually governing the country? The regulatory agencies. Well, that's, that's wrong. We need to deal with that at some point. That's what Well, uh, that's not going to happen. <laughs> it just isn't. Being I mean, realistic, it's not Yeah, sorry. Congress did, um, gave their power to the administrative agencies to make all the rules and regulations. If you ever look at the Federal Code of Regulations, it's mountainous. Does Congress have the ability to take that power back? Yeah. They're the legislative body. They can take it back. So... They don't want theoretically, it Theoretically. They don't want it, no. Theoretically, if we elected congresspeople who were willing to take that back, we could turn this around. Well, it'd have to be the whole Congress. Or at least two-thirds of it. They'd also get thrown out after one term. At <laughs> I think what you'd end up with is a Congress that doesn't have time for any big issues because they're down there fighting about your gas stove. Um, well, why can't they just keep their hands off my gas stove? Well, let's look at let's look at our insurance rates under the same the same regulatory 
uh, thing. We've all been interested in our homeowners insurance going up, and we're sending letters to Mike Causey and to the General Assembly. However, Mike Causey doesn't have the authority to say no rate increase. He can meet with the rate bureau, who's the regulatory agency, and then they mediate between each other and come to a conclusion. It's like the people have no voice. Well, you know, let, let, let's back up one more step. How many of these regulatory agencies are stepping into areas that the Constitution never allowed them to get into? All of them. <laughs> Wasn't there a court case recently, and I, I might be remembering it wrong, where they, the Supreme Court said um, the regulatory agency didn't have the right to um, make that rule because there was no representation of the people for making the rule, wasn't there a case? I think some of that COVID stuff yeah. uh, got oh, into that area where OSHA was saying you have to wear masks. Mm -hmm. And so I think there was an intervention. You're right. So there is an intervention capability, yeah, which well, I guess court, is good news. Yeah, where the court's willing to rein in the regulatory agency um, because it was really during COVID, mm -hmm. they were really exceeding their mm -hmm. regulatory authority. So can we use that precedence? If, if, they, if Congress wanted to use that as a precedence, can they use that? Well, Congress can pass any yeah. law they want mm -hmm. to. They don't need a precedence of the Chevron no. Dark no. Doctrine. They can pass any law they want to, and the court will have to interpret if somebody challenges it in court. The, the issue that they were arguing about is whether or not it's reasonable mm -hmm. to upend the Chevron doctrine. Mm -hmm. I think also Congress always has the ability to unfund one of these agencies that's making all these regu regulations. I mean, as much as that sounds like a drastic measure, mm -hmm. I mean, right now I wish that they would defund the FBI mm -hmm. and let's see where the chips fall. <laughs> That would be great. Okay, and you had something else that you wanted to... I want to talk about Fannie Willis. Okay. As a former district attorney, I've been watching the Fannie Willis case, and she's gotten herself in a pile of mess. She uh, apparently thought she was going to have a high-profile case against a, a former president, um, and none of her behavior was ever going to, you know, get any public attention. So she's broken up a marriage by being his paramour. She's being investigated by the county commission for misusing funds. She's being uh, investigated by the uh, state legislature. She's being investigated by the feds. She's being investigated by the, the court that she has to report to. She's got to file an answer. They're having a hearing in mid-February. Mm -hmm. Um, she is in a world of horts because when you misuse funds, because she fired the, the lady in her office that complained that the funds were being misused because part of that money that she was paying Mr. Wade, she got for uh, clearing out COVID backlog. And also, I think um, she also hired Mr. Wade who was not as qualified as two other persons that she did decide. Right. He's never tried a felony case. Never Let's make ever. it clear who Mr. Wade is. Oh, Mr. Wade is the uh, lead prosecutor on the RICO case um, against um, President Trump and the other 30 uh, representatives. Okay, not only has Fannie um, been directed to answer the the motion filed by Michael Roman, he's one of the defendants in the Trump case. Um, she has to file an answer, and it's due by February 2nd, I think. Um, uh, Donald Trump has adopted the motion that Michael Roman uh, filed, but he's also added something to his motion, which is that she's introduced race. When she went to the, the black church and gave a uh, argument in her favor, she said the reason people were complaining about Mr. Wade was because he was the only black lawyer she hired. Yes. <laughs> and so Donald Trump says, now you've, in, you've inserted racism and we won't be able to get a fair trial. Hmm. So she, um, 
she is just <coughs> she just firing on every cylinder. <coughs> she's having a really bad day. She's having a bad week, so, bad month. Pat, what do you think the outcome of this could be in regards to her um, prosecution of Trump? The uh, Michael Roman, who, who filed the first motion, wants her office, her, Mr. Wade, her office disqualified and the case dismissed. Now, what the judge can do is he can disqualify her, Mr. Wade, and everybody in her office. In that case, the attorney general steps forward and he appoints another lawyer. That lawyer may wish to continue mm. the case or may say this case is a loser and dismiss it. And who is the judge? Is this another partisan? Uh, would that be another partisan judge? I don't know anything about him, no. so I, I would say no. Now, if, if, if you dismiss the, the current prosecutor, is all the, quote, evidence that she had gathered, is that still valid evidence? Or was it gathered under tainted terms? I don't know. Well, that's what they're saying. All the evidence that she gathered, particularly mm. since she met with the January 6th committee mm. and the Biden White House, yep. that whatever evidence she got from them is tainted by the taint associated with Mr. Wade. Mm -hmm. So all of her evidence is tainted. So that would mean if they give it to another attorney and he can't use any of her tainted evidence, he's going to have to dismiss the case, too. Um, wow. Is she herself going to be charged with things? She could be um, misusing money. <clears throat> she could also lose her law license. Okay. Mm. Well, folks, that's quite a way to end the show. Um, so that the, so that uh, the, uh, what do I want to say? I don't know. The, the pickle brine has, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it, it's really come to the surface. Folks, this is the CCTA Wake Up Call. And uh, thank you for staying with us. You have a wonderful week. At Professional Auto Service, keeping vehicles in top form and running well isn't just their business, it's the passion of folks who work there. If bail and wire and duct tape is good enough, don't go near them. But if you take pride in your vehicle and reliability is important, go to 2215 Country Club Road in Newburn and let Professional Auto take care of your vehicle. You'll be pleased. That's Professional Auto Service, Country Club Road, Newburn. Moore's Old Time Barbecue is slow cooked and smoked over hickory in the tradition of the Moore's family for over 70 years. Moore's also serves fried chicken, cooked to order seafood, and homemade side dishes. Open seven days a week in Newburn, Winterville, Moorhead City, Swansboro, and Jacksonville. Moore's will cater and deliver anywhere you want your truly traditional barbecue and fixings delivered. And remember, if it's not Moore's, it's less. County Compass is a rapidly growing, free, weekly newspaper throughout eastern North Carolina. At the County Compass, we believe small business is the future of our great nation. Many small business owners have discovered that an ad in the County Compass each week is the most effective, the most affordable way to reach thousands of readers from all walks of life. At the County Compass, we focus entirely on local and regional news coverage of important issues that directly affect your life. At the County Compass, we love our readers and we love our advertisers. This Thursday and every Thursday at more than 750 distribution points throughout Eastern North Carolina, pick up your free copy of the County Compass newspaper. Since 1952, the North Carolina Fisheries Association has been working to ensure access for fishermen and consumers to enjoy fresh local seafood. The North Carolina Fisheries Association is for fair, science-based fisheries management for commercial and recreational fishermen. If you agree with this philosophy, become a member. For more information, log on to ncfish.org. For fresh North Carolina seafood, there's no better place than B&J Seafood, Highway 70 East in New Bern. CCTA Wake Up Call airs Saturday at 6 a.m., some days at 11 a.m. and 8 p.m. on WTKF 107.1.